in Mark chapter 1. Some of you read ahead this week, and we'll see what you uh, saw, heard, listened to from the Spirit here in just a little bit. But as you turn to Mark chapter 1, I want you to think and raise your hand if you want to. Uh, how many of you have moved to a new city, new country, new state? How many of you moved somewhere? All right, so that's a lot of us. Um, largely, the reasons that most people move, and this is true throughout history, most of the reasons, not everyone, but most of the reasons people move are driven by, by two reasons. One is they've been ordered to move somewhere, or two, there's an opportunity there. People, people have to move or they want to move, as simple as that sounds. An order might be a, a military order. We're getting transferred to a new place, or, or the patriarch of a family moves his fam- family. A matriarch of a family moves, her, family moves her family to a new place. There's, there's, hey, we're going. You don't have a choice of it. Or there's an opportunity there. Maybe you move somewhere for better schools or, or a good job or because someone you love or think you love might be in that place or this kind of stuff. Or maybe you're moving somewhere to leave some form of danger. Maybe you're leaving some, some old ways. You want a new start. And there's a better life waiting for you there. Is that fair? It's a lot of why people move. They either have to or they want to. But it takes something big to make such a huge change. Is that fair? Like, it's rare that you just wake up one day and you're like, yeah, oh, I think this other place is great. Um, unless you're, you know, 21 years old and live out your dream in Portland or that kind of stuff. But then you realize it's expensive, then you move away. So, so for most people, it's, it's a big thing that takes such a change. And if we're honest, we face big decisions like that through all of our life, even if they look a little bit smaller. So, for example, we decide what school we want to go to after we graduate high school, or what kids we want to send, what school we want to send our kids to. We decide, we have to decide and wrestle with when's the right time to start a new job, leave a new job, when's the right time, what is the new house, the new car. Like, we have big decisions that can be hard, and a lot of them push us out of our comfort zone, but we still make them. Why? Why do we make big decisions like that? Again, I I would submit a lot of times it's either because we have to. We bought this car because it fits the budget. We we bought a car because our other one broke down kind of thing. Um, It's a a job. It's this best thing for my family. It's a whatever it is. We have to. Or we want to. We think this decision, this house, this job, this place, we think that that is what's best for us in this season. We think that that's what's going to lead to the most joy and the best life. That's why we make decisions, fair? We either have to or we want to. In today's verses, Jesus is going to invite folks to leave everything and follow him. And as a spoiler alert, that is still Jesus' invitation to us today. Would you leave your comfort? Would you leave what's normal? Would you leave everything and follow me? And that's a high calling. Obeying Jesus, can we agree with this? Obeying Jesus is a hard thing. To truly obey Jesus goes against comfort. Sometimes it goes against what we most want. Obeying Jesus certainly goes against the culture around us, doesn't it? And some folks who would claim to follow Jesus just look at that. That's too hard. It's it's way too uncomfortable. It's not at all what I want. And and, and just go, well, I'm just going to ignore the invitation altogether. I'm just going to ignore Jesus' call altogether. Other times, though, followers of Jesus can see that invitation or see his call, come follow me, as an order. It's something we have to do. 
something we don't have a choice in. So it becomes this begrudging, okay, fine, kind of mentality. You ever been there? What if, though, what if Jesus' call, what if his invitation, come, follow me, what if, what if his, his high calling, leave everything behind, what if it wasn't an order? But what if it's an actual opportunity? What if, what if it, it is what's best for us? What if it does lead to the most joy and the fullest life? Wouldn't it be worth it then? Wouldn't it be whatever pain or hardship or discomfort we have to go through? That's a huge mind, mind shift. But, but that's the point of view that I'd love us to consider today as we look at Jesus' calling to his disciples. Um, so some of you read and reflected Mark 1, 14 through 45 this week. Uh, what stood out? What, what, what were you prompted to, to journal or respond or, or create or this kind of stuff? What are some things that stood out to you uh, that, that you felt like God might be inviting you to, that God might be inviting us to as a church family? Anything stand out as you read this week? showed like this is the sign the kingdom of God is here and then also his authority uh, both on earth as well as in yeah yeah so coming out of his announcement the time is now we got a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like and that it was healing and restorative and also yeah that he had the authority to do both supernatural and quote unquote natural or healing in the supernatural and the natural world good yeah yeah that's huge if that's true, then do we think God has that power today and that authority today? I'd like to hope so, yeah. Anything else stand out as you read this week? Yeah, I was reading it. Um, when Jesus calls his disciples, it seems like really sudden and like they might not even know who he is and they just immediately got everything and followed him. Um, and I was like, that, that seems quite right. So I read Luke and John and like, these people have been hearing him talk. And so it wasn't like, I'm going to go do something out of limb. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, they had heard him and probably thought about it. So they did immediately drop their uh, nets and go follow him. But it wasn't completely out of time. Yeah, yeah, that's good. We said that last week. Like, Mark's the most, like, action-oriented. I think the word immediately is in the Gospel of Mark 40-some-odd times. Um, yeah, so it can look like you just saw people and, and off they went. But they had at least heard from, you know, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, there's one coming, there's something happening here, and Jesus had had some interactions and gained a little bit of notoriety as a, as a, a rabbi at the time. And so when he said, come follow me, that was actually a fairly rabbinical thing where a rabbi would go to some prospective students or prospective students would go to a rabbi and say, can I learn from you or come learn with me? And it was a huge honor in the culture to be asked, come and follow me. That's good. Anything else? Yeah. Um, I think also just the aspect of how Jesus was sort of like keeping it on a, on a low profile, like if he, he would not permit like the, the demons to speak, and yes. whenever he healed someone, he, he actually just, just didn't want them to go out and just tell people who he was. Like he wanted to sort of like keep it on a low profile, mm-hmm. and he was doing it 
Yeah. Yeah. Jesus kept a low profile. He didn't want the demons or the folks he healed to to expose them. Yeah, that's right. We'll come back to that in a little bit because it feels backwards, right? Yeah, we'll see that. Ben. Yeah, his ministry starts sad in that his cousin is at least arrested. We'll find out more in a few chapters. Yeah, it starts out of John the Baptist's arrest. One more, anything else stand out to you as you read this week? Anything that was particularly stirring? Yeah. One thing when um, Ben healed the man with leprosy, I did think it was interesting because I was trapped in the college. Jesus used the word profile, but within the story about the man with leprosy, he says, don't tell anyone, but go show the priest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't tell anyone, but go show the priest. Because at the time, the priests were, you know, they weren't doctors but they had the authority to say, yes, you can come back into society or not. So he said, go and, and go to those who would know best if you're actually healed or not. And so go show the priests, which also then made the priests not too happy with him that he could heal. Yeah. I wanted to say just to one more. I think for me, uh, some of the things that just took me, like, basically I'm like, there was so much demonstration of power. Yeah. Like he goes... From there, he cast as a demon, goes to Peter's mom, he heals it. Like, everywhere where he was, there was just a demonstration of the power. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's something I'm crying for and saying, yeah. where, where is that like, these days? Yeah, where is the power of God today? Yeah, absolutely. What I love about this is all everything that was mentioned, so much of what was mentioned is going, man, there's this high view of Jesus. And yet, like, what he did and what he said didn't look the way we would expect him to today. Right, like the, the don't talk about me or the ability to come in and say, hey, no, I, I'm just going to heal you. And people go, what? You can't do that. Go, well, I did. So I did. I can, apparently. Um, and, and just the, the power and magnitude is so different. And, and so there's something in that. Again, there's part of everybody coming together to, to read the Gospel of Mark that goes, something that was said might not have been something that you picked up on but it's something that might stir you to go, oh, I, I didn't notice that. I didn't see this aspect of the work of Jesus in these verses. And we get to worship a little bit more from hearing from one another. Um, it's encouraging to one another. So thanks for those who, who share. There's, there's a lot to dive into in these verses. We're not going to get to every single nuance. Um, but there are three themes that I would love for us to dive into a little bit more. And, and some of you have, have brought them out. But the first is that in these verses, in Jesus... God announces a new kingdom and a renewed creation. That's some of what you saw, a renewed creation, the healing, the, the making things whole. There's a new kingdom at hand. So the first theme we see is that in Christ, God announced a new kingdom and a renewed creation. Second is, is that God announced new kingdom priorities. If there's going to be a new king and a new kingdom, then the, then the, the, the priorities that follow that kingdom are going to look different than the old king and the old kingdom. And finally, in Christ, God announces a new king. Uh, so I want to start and just dive in uh, to repeat it. In Jesus's life and death and resurrection and reign, God announces a new kingdom and renewed creation. 
Um, so if you saw this, there's three like real quick back-to-back vignettes of what happens here. And the first one I'm going to read, I'm actually going to jump back a few verses uh, to, to uh, Mark 1, starting in verse 9. Yeah, it'll be up on the screen too. Uh, but in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. There's a first little scene. And then immediately, next scene, the spirit drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering. To him. Let's pause after that second little vignette. Um, in these images, we see, and we said this last week, that, that a lot of what Mark is doing is going to point us back to creation. You know, we're talking about a renewed creation, a renewed kingdom here. Mark is going to point us back to original creation and God's original kingdom. And so if you know the story of Adam and Eve, if you know anything about the first couple chapters of the Bible, what in these verses point us back to original creation? What points us back to the Garden of Eden? Anything stand out? As Jesus went into the water, came up out of the water, what happened? The Spirit descended on him. If you remember in Genesis 1-1, you see that as God created the heavens and the earth, the Spirit is hovering over. Yeah, so there's, there's this image of there was old creation, there was literal creation. In Christ is new creation. There's some relationship he's drawing there. Anything else stand out as you think about the Garden of Eden and, and these verses? He says how he's well pleased in creation after every day. It's like it is good. That's right. Yeah, God created this, and he said, it is good. God created this, it is good. He says, you're my beloved son here. It is good. With you, I'm well pleased. Great. Anything else? I think that he spoke. There was a voice. Yeah, there's a voice. Yeah, let there be light. This is my beloved son. Yeah, there's a, there's a creative declaration in those things. Even as, as Jesus is moved by the Spirit out into the wilderness, certainly Satan showed up. Where else did Satan show up? He popped into the Garden of Eden, right? Right after God had created Adam and Eve and said, this is, this is your chart. I'm creating you in my image. Satan showed up there too. So there's some theologians that actually think when he was in the wilderness with the wild animals... That it, that it wasn't like he was having to be worried about these wild animals attacking him. He was actually kind of recreating a Garden of Eden-like experience where God was present in creation. And then Satan shows up to try to tempt him. But, of course, as we know, and we're going to find out, Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God through Christ, surpasses God's original surpasses God's original created being because unlike Adam and Eve, what did Jesus not do? He didn't give in to Satan's temptation. He's there for 40 days. Obviously, that recalls 40 years of walking in the wilderness for God's people, Israel. That would have been familiar to Mark's old covenant readers. What happens at the end of Israel's walking for 40 days in the wilderness? Where do they arrive, you know? The, The promised land. They arrive to the kingdom that they think they've been waiting for. After 40 years in the wilderness, they have arrived. And similarly, what happens at the end of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness? Here's a third back-to-back scene starting in Mark 1, verse 
14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled or the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. After 40 years in the wilderness, Israel arrived at their home. After 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus comes and says, there's a new and better creation. There's a new and better kingdom. The time is now. We've arrived because I have arrived. God is, God is renewing creation. He is declaring a new and better kingdom. Does that, does that matter to us today? We still walk in this new kingdom. We still walk in this renewed, still so broken, but renewed creation that Jesus was inaugurating when he said the time is now. There's something different. That leads us to the next theme that we see, that in Jesus, God announced new kingdom priorities. I'm going to suggest that this is the main thrust of Mark chapter 1, that there's new priorities that follow this new kingdom, this renewed creation. Um, just this week with our uh, DNA group, we meet over breakfast at Old South Pancake House, like 80-year-old men have done forever and ever. Um, still smells like cigarette smoke in there. Um, but this week, we're, we're just kind of asking, what does the Bible say about this topic? What does the Bible say about that topic? And this week, we talked about retirement, which is such a common culture, cultural expectation, common concept today. Um, but turns out we couldn't find it anywhere in the Bible. Started about the 1940s or 1950s, which, for perspective, that's about this much of history, you know, by comparison. But it's so common for lots of reasons, right? Uh, maybe, maybe some of it is because we don't know what it looks like to rest, and so we get to a point where we are forced to. Um, we we don't we don't get that kind of thing. Maybe maybe we just retired in order to say, hey, this is my life. I get to do what I want. I I earned this. I've accomplished this. I've achieved it. And I say that to say, like, retirement is, is one example that is so common today of, of a value that our culture has that may not actually fit God's priorities. And we, we see some similar things in Mark 1. We see some just similar cultural expectations, some cultural priorities, some cultural expectations that Jesus comes in and looks totally different from. That's kind of what Marvin was saying, like, if... If you were a healer, if you wanted to be, 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 be a new prophet, a new teacher, like some of that is everybody needs to know who you are. And Jesus is instead saying, no, 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 don't. don't." This is so good. This is so rich. And then the fact that you're able to, to just in a few moments go like, man, this, here's what would be normal and here's what Jesus did instead gives us a picture of these, of these countercultural priorities. The, the, the point of even having you do this around your tables is, is to see that, that, that in all Jesus did, his follow, he followed God's priorities, which were not the world's priorities. Is that fair? In everything Jesus did, he followed God the Father's priorities, which were not the world's priorities. And you know what he invites us to as we follow him? He invites us into God's priorities. And he invites us to, to pursue and discern and to follow God's priorities, which turns out still looks very different than the world's. Again, the world says, build your platform. Follow the logical career step. Obey this empty religious rule. Disassociate from people who look or act different or have needs. But over and over and over and over again, Jesus did and said the exact opposite. 
Jesus gave up fame to display godly humility. Jesus invited fishermen, not the religious elite. And he invited them to give up their livelihoods, but he did so to offer them a better life, fuller life. Jesus rejected empty religion in order to heal and display the heart of God, even doing so on a Sabbath. Jesus ignored the religious traditions and authorities and instead showed that we can have a personal relationship with God and hear directly from God, not just through another person. He, in touching the leper, he become unclean for the sake of others' cleansing. Is that good news? Like, and on and on and on we could go. I think part of what Mark does is goes, here's an example, and here's an example, and here's it. Like, you just can't, can't help but read it and be amazed at just the back-to-back-to-back-to-back glimpses of countercultural priorities. But Jesus' laser focus, hear this, Jesus' laser focus was on the eternal and lasting priorities of God's kingdom rather than the fickle and fading priorities of humanity. Can I say that again? I think this is the core of it. Jesus' priorities on the, the, the lasting and eternal priorities of God's kingdom rather than the fickle and fading priorities of humanity. And if that's true, it begs us to go, what about ours? What about ours? What, what, what shapes your priorities? What are your goals? Is it that we put our kids in every sport knowing that they're going to go pro 100% one day? Even at the expense of relationships and community? Do we save, save, save money at the expense of countercultural generosity? Or do we spend, spend, spend money to have every trinket, trinket that, that we know will break or, or burn one day. You work 80 hours to get ahead now so that we can retire at the expense of family and time and being present now. And on and on and on we can go, thinking of our culture and the values and the world around us and the different culture and value and priorities of the kingdom of God. How do we use our home? How do we use our stuff? How do we use our time? How do we use our money? What are our goals? At the core, are they they more for our comfort or or more for Jesus and his kingdom? And, And that's our core question today. Might Jesus be inviting you into new and renewed priorities? Ones that look different, admittedly, from from both the outward culture, but, but can we be honest, also ones that look different from our inward desires. But, but would Jesus be inviting us into priorities that reflect the eternal, lasting kingdom of God instead of fickle, fading priorities of humanity, just like he did? Because as, as, as much as a renewed creation is, and as much as new priorities are themes in this chapter, what matters more than those things is the motive and the starting point for renewed creation. What matters most is, is the, the motive and the starting point for those new priorities. And that's the third theme in that Jesus became a king. Okay? In, in, in Christ, God announced a new king. That's what changed the priorities. That's what changed the creation. In Christ, God announced a new king. We don't, we don't live under a monarchy. But what are some things you know to be true of kings and queens? Kids, you've seen shows with kings and queens, right? Kids and grown-ups both. What are, what are true of kings and queens? What do they have or what happens when they speak? Or Yeah. Uh, 
power. Kings and queens have power. Or they think they do. Or they think they do. Yeah. <laughs> Good, honest answer. Yes. Most of the time they have accents. We're not going to come back to that one. We are going to come back to power, though. Yeah. A lot of times they can be selfish. That's true. I hadn't thought about this dark side of kings and queens. I was thinking more of the good side, but, but you're right. Yeah. There's a lot of like ceremony. Like, there's a right way to approach a king. Or there's a right way to approach a king or queen. Not just anyone can like step up to them and shake your That's right. Yes. What would happen if you just walked up and tried to shake their hand? You'd lose a hand, yeah. Um, they only gain their status through their lineage. Yeah. Mm. They only gain their status through their lineage. That's good. Yeah. They have the final say. Yeah, they have final say. In their territory. In their territory. Yeah. Yeah. When they speak, people listen. That's good. Yeah. All the good things that were said, we'll pretend the bad ones were, all the good things that were said are just exponentially more true of King Jesus. Like his, I love the lineage thing. Why is he a king? Because his father has the rights over all the realm. When he speaks, people listen. Although not some of the people you'd expect to listen. And maybe not some of the people today that we might expect to listen. But by contrast to the selfishness that we see in some kings and queens, what was Jesus' reign marked by? Yeah, complete, utter selflessness. Power, authority. What when people when when you speak, people listen. When you say something, it happens. Did, did you see examples of Jesus' own power and authority? And some people's obedience in, in the verses you read? Like, Jesus has this great power, more power than any other king or queen over the physical and the spiritual realm. He didn't rely on other people's authority. We've already said this, but his own. And some people and a lot of natural creation and supernatural creation obey. Remember, first century Israel had a history of both good and bad and selfish kings, most of whom had accents, probably. <laughs> And, and, and at the time that, that Jesus walked the earth, they were living under the rule of a Roman Empire. Like, they got what a worldly display of power and authority looked like. Israel's hope was for a Messiah, a new and better king who would free them from Roman rule. That, that was what was true of most of, of the folks that walked the, the area that Jesus interacted with. Moving forward a couple of years, the first readers of Mark's gospel were first century followers of Jesus, not, not even 20 years removed, 20 or 30 years removed from Jesus' death and resurrection. What was their experience with power and authority and monarchy? Persecution and suffering at the hand of the ultimate worldly authority at the time, the Roman Empire. Because they followed and pursued Jesus and because they lived out these countercultural priorities. But to them it was worth it. Why? Because they knew that Jesus was a true and better king. So that's our question. If we also know that Jesus is a true and better king, does, does our lives reflect that? Do our priorities reflect that? Because to get really practical as we close today, we have to ask, like Israel if we know we're serving some master or some monarch, 
that's either literal or outward, some, some person or, or thing that claims authority over us, or maybe it's, it's, it's inward, it's a, it's a personal desire, it's an idol, it's a priority. If, if we serve a master or monarch that we know is oppressive or let you down, are you yearning for a better king? Are you yearning for a better king? Or are, are we like some of the first century Christians claiming, claiming that Jesus is our king, but we become so consumed with the priorities of the world around us that, that Jesus isn't our functional, actual, everyday king. Is, is, is that where we are? Do we, do we need a king, or do we need to be invited back to our king? Here's the point. Jesus' life and death and resurrection and reign didn't just change your theology. Jesus' Jesus's life and death and resurrection and reign didn't happen just to keep you out of hell one day. Jesus, you know, Jesus is not some impotent monarch who who claims to be your king, but lets you live however you wish and lets you serve whatever authority you like best at any given moment. Rather, Jesus is your king. He's your authority. He's your master. He rightly demands your allegiance. Does that make your skin tingle a little bit? Does that make your hair stand up on the back of your head? We don't like that kind of language. Following Jesus today, just, just like in the first century, meant turn, means turning from other agendas and other powers and other priorities and other comforts and even religious institutions. Following Jesus today, like in the first century, means giving up your livelihood at times, your own desires at times, common cultural values and goals, and frankly, giving up every other person and thing who claims to be your authority over you. Following Jesus today, like in the first century, means declaring wholehearted allegiance to Jesus as your true king. And, as the Gospel of Matthew would say, it means seeking first his kingdom. That goes against so many Western American modern-day values. Independence. Individualism. Even, if I may be so bold, our right to liberty and our pursuit of happiness, however we decide to define happiness. And so this shift of priorities might be hard and painful, but in the grand scheme of things, it's only for short term, and B, it's, it's so worth it. Because Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one true king. But he's also the only monarch who rightly claims to be authority over all of creation. He's the only king who can promise a true and better and fullest life now for eternity. And and it's already on the screen. He's a good king whose reign is marked by healing and reconciliation and truth and love and some of the things you brought out in today's verses. He's the only king who invites us into his royal family. So, So you don't have to be careful about how you approach him or you lose a hand. He invites you to be part of his family. You're, you're a sister or brother to King Jesus. You're a son or daughter of God. And we each have a role to play in expanding that kingdom. Everything that Jesus invites his followers to is for our ultimate and eternal joy. Do you believe that? Because Jesus is the ultimate king whose display of power is marked by ultimate humility even to the point of death for all those who declare their allegiance in him. Is that good news? You believe that Jesus is a good king? 
Jesus' kingdom priorities are good. They're good for you as he invites you into them. His call to follow him echoes the call that he gave his first followers. Come follow me. Why? Look, look, look at verse 15 with me. Mark 1, verse 15. So we'll close. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The response to Jesus, the one right response is to reject all other kings and kingdoms and priorities. That's what repentance is. It's turning from something and accepting his invitation to believe to declare allegiance to Jesus and his priorities as the one true Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you are a better king than any other on earth, that your authority is higher and more worthy of any on earth. I thank you that you invite us into these things as hard as they are. Would you help us to, to cut through all the things that distract us and pull us away and to instead see you as you are and to repent and believe and to seek your kingdom because you are our king. Amen? Amen. One of the ways that Jesus showed his humility um, is the ultimate way Jesus showed his humility, that his king is, his king, kingdom is, is totally countercultural, it's not selfish, is by going to the cross. And so for anyone who's a follower of Jesus, anytime we take communion, part of what we're declaring is, is these reversed and new priorities. So on your table, there's, there's bread and there's juice and there's wine. And um, if you need uh, individual packets like the one I have up here, you can grab it from the back. But if you take the, the, the bread, dip it into the juice or the wine, what we're saying is look at our humble king. This is a king worth worshiping. It's the king who didn't pursue his own. He died for you. So take and eat, take and drink the body and blood of Christ.